Oh, wow. <laughs> Look at this place. I've, I've, I've been here before. Look at it. The lake. I love the lake this time of day. It's like glass. <laughs> and the Galilean hills over there. Beautiful. But, but I, I've, been, I've been here. I've been at this beach. <laughs> when I was little, I knew all these beaches. But this one, this is it. Look at that. I don't know how long it's been. I'm sorry. I think that's, that's my old boat. I, I, I doubt it even floats anymore. Oh, wow. Look at this place. Look, look, down, look down the beach. You can, see, you can see some other boats. Yeah. They've, they've pulled onto the beach. They've got, they've got a fire going. I bet that's old Benjamin's boys. No, no by now it's probably Benjamin's grandchildren. <laughs> they've probably taken over the family business. And you can see that they've got a fire. They've got a fire burning. And you can, you can smell it. Do you smell the charcoal? I'll never forget that smell. So many memories. They've probably been fishing all night. Us fishermen are strange guys. We work in the night when everyone's sleeping, and we sleep in the day when everyone's working. And so they're probably getting some breakfast before they clean their nets and head to bed. Well, I want to tell you a story, but fishermen are, are fishermen, and, and we kind of have a bad reputation, right? Like fishing stories about the one that got away. <laughs> And, and honestly, if, if I hadn't been there myself, I, I wouldn't believe the story either. But I, I learned something that night, that there are crossroads moments in your life that can change everything. And sometimes you don't even know when you're at them. You get up, make your breakfast, fish and flatbread for me. Pack your lunch, more fish and flatbread for me. And you head out. Not knowing that when you come back through that door, you'll be an entirely different person. That, that's how this story went. I want to tell you a, a fishing story. But, but I got to give you some background first. It, it was back in the day. There was a, a young rabbi named Yeshua. I think you'd call him Jesus. He, he would come around and, and he would go all over these hills and, and uh, in all the villages. And he would talk to the people about one thing, the kingdom of God. He was always talking about the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is like this. But he would always say, the kingdom of God is here. Now, I'm just a fisherman. And I thought that sounds kind of strange. Yeshua, if the kingdom of God is here, then, then where's the Messiah? And if the kingdom of God is here, where's the armies of the Lord to drive out the enemies of God into the sea? I didn't see any of that around. Yet he insisted and he had a way about him that just made you want to believe that what he was saying. Well, he eventually came to my town. Now, I found out he was from Nazareth, that little podunk town. Now, Capernaum, where I'm at, is no metropolis, but compared to Nazareth, we got it going on. And he asked if he could stay next in our house because we're right next to the synagogue. And, of course, we, we had some room. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll make a room for you, Jesus. 
And he would come and he would go. And uh, one, one Sabbath, he was in the synagogue right next door. And something amazing happened as the people were packed in there, standing room only. Uh, he, uh, he, there was a demon-possessed man. I remember that. He screamed out and Jesus just said, knock it off. And the demon was gone. And people were in awe. And then uh, Jesus left the synagogue. He came back to my house. And at, at that time, my mother-in-law, Miriam, she was not well at all. We, we, she actually had taken a turn during that service. Her, her fever had spiked. And we, we just asked her, Jesus, could, could, you, could you help her? And he smiled. He said, sure. And he walked right up to her. And he, he put her, his hand on her. And, and he just cast out the sickness, just like he did with the demon. And, and we were like, what is this? Now, if I was a brighter man, I would have probably been able to connect some dots a little bit sooner. But I'm a businessman, and I didn't have time to think about it too much that night. And I had to gather the boys, and we had to go out fishing like, like we always did. And so I, I just kind of moved on with my day. Well, over the next several weeks and months, Jesus would, would stay in our house, and we never knew when he was coming or going. So sometimes he'd leave for days at a time and weeks at a time, but he always came back. But, but what that meant was that they knew where he stayed, and I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit I didn't like that. I didn't like that because at all out, remember, I'm sleeping during the day, but at all hours of the day, there's knocks on my door. And not just of any people, people with demons and sickness and contagion. Now, I had always been taught that that if you have a demon or you're sick, that's because of some wicked sin that you had committed or or your parents had committed. So I I didn't really care much for that. They're always knocking on my door, always milling around about my house. And and I'm just trying to get my sleep on. (laughs) But Jesus, he, he, when he'd come, he, 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 you could see it in his face. He had compassion for these people. He always moved toward them and, 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 and contagious people. He, he would just go right up to them and he would put his hands on them. He'd smile at them and he'd heal them. It's unbelievable. Well, back to my story, the fishing story. So, so it was a night, not unlike last night. It was, it was perfect. There was a, uh, just a sliver of a, uh, of a moon in the sky that night, uh, just, just enough to help us navigate. And, and the, the, the water was smooth. And so uh, you got to understand, we've been fishing this. My daddy's been fishing this. My daddy's daddy's been fishing this. We know these waters and these beaches. We know where all the fish were at. And, and we're doing pretty well for ourselves. Me, James, and John, we, we, were, we were partners along with his, their dad, Zebedee. We, we had some workers. We had a crew running. And so we, we'd go out each night, and if we could bring back 30, 40, 50 fish, that would be a very good night. And so we went out this night, and we thought, this is perfect. We got in our boats. We, we, we paddled out to our first spot, we, our money spot. We, we knew we were going to get some fish. Now, the way this works is we, we drop our fish, and we have to do it at night because fish can see our nets. But not at night. And so we drop the net and, and we get our boats all in a, in a circle around the net. And then at my command, we all smash the water violently and the fish all get scared and they go into the net. And so that's what we did. We went to our spot. We, we dropped the thing, smashed the water and went to go pull up the thing. And, and, and on a good catch, we'd get five or six decent sized fish. We pulled it up and there was Nothing. Nothing, just some sticks and some mud. 
I thought, okay, that doesn't usually happen that way. Well, let's go on to the next one. And, and we went and did the same thing, dropped the nets and, and came around and there was nothing. And, we, and we're starting to get frustrated and, and we're bickering and arguing and, and, and we just kept going and going. We thought maybe it's just the lake. Maybe tonight it's just tonight. Maybe we misread, even though we've been doing this our whole lives, maybe we misread the weather and all that. But then some other fishermen came by and their nets were full. And they're like, howdy, boys. And we're like, what? And so we went and we went and we went. We got angrier and angrier and tireder and tired. And then we saw the first light of dawn and we knew, man, it's over. I was feeling anxious. Not only would I not have anything to bring back to my family, but, but I had to still pay my guys. I didn't know how that was going to work. But we were defeated, and so we began to make our way back. And we were a a long way away because we had tried all the different spots and all night, nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, we saw a crowd on the beach. And we we thought, well, that's as good a place as any to pull up to. It was this beach right here. Uh, Let's see what's going on. And as we got closer, we saw, sure enough, it was Jesus even though it was the, the beginning of the day, the, the, the sun was just rising. Wherever he went in those days, man, the crowds were with him. And we could tell he was trying to teach him uh, about the kingdom of God again, but, but they were pressing in on him uh, on the beach. And, and his voice was getting muffled, and, you, and there was grumbling in the back. We can't hear. We can't hear. And that's when uh, Jesus turned to me and, and I said, Peter, can you, can you take me out in your boat? I'm tired. <laughs> And I just want to get home, but I kind of owe him a favor for what he did for my mother-in-law. And so I said, sure, Jesus. So we got into the boat and uh, I began to take us out there. And I was like, this is something I can do. I took us out about 100 yards and positioned the boat just right so so Jesus could preach about the kingdom of God. And you can't just leave it there. There's currents and there's wind. And I I would move it around just right, keep them there. I don't remember all that he said, but I remember again, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he had this way of talking to people that that was not like any of the other religious leaders. He had this way of talking to people, not down to people, but like they were all leaning in. He He would talk to them about their lives. And he would point them to the kingdom of God. He'd talk about fishing and seeds and farming and brides and bridegrooms and cities on a hill. And, and, and they were pressing into that. Well, after about an hour, when he had finished, I, I began to row us back to the shore. And, and that's when Jesus said the craziest thing to me. He turned to me and said, Peter, go out to the deep and drop your nets. I was like, say What? I said, uh, Master, uh, we've been working hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But what I wanted to say was, listen, I get that you're a carpenter, and if my table's broken, I might come to you. And I get that you're a rabbi, and I could learn some things there, but this is kind of my area of expertise. I kind of know what I'm doing, Jesus. And right before I was about to say something like that and just move us on, again, it was that crossroads moment. Something in my head just said, is he the master or not? And I learned a lot of things that day about following Jesus. The first one was that. 
I've been following Jesus for a long time now. And I've seen a lot of people come and a lot of people go. I've seen a lot of people come to follow Jesus. And, and at first, they're all about it. Like at first, it seems like they're getting their life together and things are going well. And, but, but Jesus had this way. He has this way. He'll say something or he'll do something where you disagree with him. And in that moment, you kind of see uh, whether or not a person is just following him because he's a, I think you might call him a life coach, an advisor. Or is he Lord? Is he the master? A lot of people walk away in that moment. But I heard that voice. Is he master or not? For some reason, I said, I think he is. So I said, Lord, we've been working hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, just because you say so. On one level, I was trying to save him some embarrassment. The crowd could still hear us. They were still looking at us. And everyone knows, even if you're from Nazareth up in the hills, everyone knows you don't catch fish in the middle of the day with the sun high with our nets. Fish will see him a mile away. But he is the master. That's what he said. Not only that, he said, go out to the deep. Come on. And so I, I rode out and the other boys saw me going out with the boat. So they got in theirs and, and began to follow me out there. And, and we rode and I, I got our nets and I, I, I went through the show of like, they're in the water, Jesus. I thought, how long do I have to be out here? I just want to be home. I just want to go to my bed. But before I could even finish that thought, I, I heard something. I, I heard something hit the nets. I, I thought it was the fish that swallowed Jonah. I actually, it was so big. But, but then I looked down and it was like boiling, roiling water. And the, the, there were hundreds and hundreds of fish. And, and I was like, my first thought was, yes, I'm going to be rich. It's, it, it, my synapses were firing. I realize I'm a fisherman and I shouldn't know that word, but I do. <laughs> my synapses were firing and uh, I was like, yes, I'm building the addition to my house. I'm getting another boat. I'm going to get two boats. We're, we're going to hire more workers. We're going to run the whole fishing industry this side of Lake, uh, Lake Galilee. I just made all those connections very quickly. And as soon as I made those connections, all of a sudden I saw something else very concerning. All of a sudden I saw my nets, my most valuable next to my boat possession, were starting to break. I was like, oh no, not only am I going to lose all these fish, the, all this, this wealth, uh, my nets are going to break. And then it's going to be worse than when we started. So I called over to John and James, hurry, hurry. They're big boys, so they can hurry. And they got on their oars and they came on over. And, and we just began to, by the arm load, just fill up our boats, just fill them up, fill them up, fill them up. And, and while we got to the very last fish for each of our, our nets, we, we put it in. And man, it had filled the whole boat. We had never, I mean, this is the stuff of legends. And again, I get it if you don't believe fishing stories, but I'm telling you, I I was there. The weight of the fish alone was making the boat go down lower and lower. And the water was rising and rising right up to the gunnel. And, and we were like, oh, my goodness. And John and James are sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The sons of Zebedee. They, they were they, they were hooping and hollering and, and we were going crazy. And then we, we, we began to uh, uh, just kind of uh, paddle very slowly back. Thankfully, it was a day like this. It's really calm. Because I think if there was just a little bit of a wave, it would have come over the bow of our boat and we'd be goners. And, and as we began to slowly make our way back home, a silence kind of 
descended onto the boat. And all you could hear was the oars and the water going in and out, in and out. I, I began to think a little bit, which is a dangerous thing because I usually talk first and think second. But I was thinking about this. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. All night, no fish. Now I'm covered in fish. And I looked up at Jesus and I looked at his face and it, he, he was just kind of serene, indifferent. And that didn't make any sense to me either. Here's a man who had a command, demons flee, who could touch a person and be healed and apparently could catch as many fish whenever and wherever he wanted. At a moment's notice, he could be as rich as anyone has ever been. I had no doubt about that. He could live a life of comfort and luxury and all that. And all it seemed is he wanted to walk around and tell people about the kingdom of God. Oh, that's odd. Then I looked up in his face again, and this time he's looking at me like he was waiting for something to happen. And then it did happen. I don't know how to describe it, except for my eyes were opened for the very first time. Looking into the face of Jesus, I saw the white hot holiness of God. And I know people talk about wanting to see God and sing songs about wanting to see God. I'm telling you, no, you don't. I, I saw everything clearly for the very first time in my life in that moment, namely myself. In the light of God's perfection and holiness in the face of Jesus, I, I saw all of my sin and all of my rebellion and all the things I try to make excuses for, all the things I try to justify, all the things that I try to compare myself to everyone else and how I was still better than them. In that moment, it was all washed away. And I was, I felt, I knew what Moses felt when he was uh, encountering God in the burning bush in that moment. I knew what Isaiah felt when he went into the temple that day and he saw the Lord high and lifted up and he heard the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah said, I am undone. I'm finished. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I knew all of that in that moment. And if we were closer to the shore, I would have jumped in the water, swam away and never looked back. But we were still in the deep. So I got on my face in, in the midst of all the fish and I cried out to Jesus, Lord, depart from me for I am a sinful man. And I thought, those are my last words. These are my last breaths. I, I can't do anymore. I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. And I was waiting for it and waiting for it. And then I heard Jesus say, do not be afraid. And I, I looked up and it, it was just Jesus again. And he was smiling at me. He said, do not be afraid. From now on, I'll make you a fisher of men. And you got to understand how crazy that is. I'm just a fisherman. In Israel, we, we have a system for training up young boys to become the religious leaders. We all start in the system. We all go to religious school, but only the best and the brightest go on to the next level and the next level and the next level. And the best rabbis are looking for the best, best boys and, and the, the best ones to take on their, their teaching and their, their discipleship. And I think when 
when I went, I, I went with my, my buddies, James and John, and I think we washed out in the first day. <laughs> they sent us back home. Go fish. So that's okay. That's what we're used to. So we didn't think about anything about it. But now Jesus was inviting me and James and John to be his disciples, to take on his yoke. He says, don't worry, it's, it's light and easy <laughs> to follow his way and his will. And so we, we got the boats back and we arranged with our workers to oversee the business and to sell these fish. And, and we began a journey of discovery of, of following Jesus and, and trying to learn more about what, this, what he means by the kingdom of God and how we could teach others. And we weren't very good at it. In fact, we were kind of terrible at it. We, we, we would often be like, well, what did he say? I don't understand what he meant. Sometimes he'd catch us arguing. We had a favorite argument. Who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus would be like, really, guys? Is that what you're getting? But we tried. But we tried to follow him. And, and I, I, to this day, I... I've wondered why he would choose us, but, but then I also learned something else about discipleship in that moment. That Jesus delights to make the extraordinary, extraordinary come through the ordinary. He, he chose me and James and John and, and the other guys. They're not much better. Just average, ordinary guys so that the world will know that we're all called. We're all called into this adventure of following Jesus. No matter where you're at, no matter how much money you have, no matter what your education is, no no matter uh, what you've done in your life, how much you've sinned, Jesus is calling you to be a follower of him. And not just that, he's sending you to be his representative. I think about this all the time. In fact, I recently wrote a letter to some churches that are going through some things. And I just reminded him, you are a chosen people. A holy priesthood. A holy nation. Chosen by God so that you may proclaim his excellencies from, of him who called you out of darkness into light. And so that's what discipleship is. That's what we get to do. And so I, I've given, since that day, I've given my life to following Jesus. And I haven't always done it well. In fact, I've stumbled and fallen a lot. Maybe the most. We followed Jesus for those three years. And at the end, he said uh, one night, he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be betrayed. And you're all going to abandon me. And I was like, That's crazy. I said, Jesus, I would never abandon you. I'll fight to the death for you. And he just kind of looked at me with sad eyes. Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you, but I've prayed for you that when you're restored, you will lead. I said, what? No, 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 Jesus, I will never abandon you. No, no, Peter, before the crow, before the crow, the, the rooster crows three times. You'll have abandoned me. Well, things went very quickly that night. He was betrayed with a kiss by Judas, one of us. He was arrested. I I, I followed along and went into the courtyard. And people began to ask me if I was one of his followers because they recognized my accent. I said, no, no, no. But it was that 
that slave girl at that fire pit that I was warming myself with, she says, I know you were with Jesus. I know you're one of his disciples. And I cursed her out. No, I am not. I am not a follower of Jesus. As soon as I said that, I heard the rooster crow and I looked up and I made across the way, I made eye contact with Jesus. I just felt the shame of that moment. I ran. I thought that's the last I'm going to see of him. Of course, you might know that's not the last I saw of him. Three days later, we're in an upper room and locked and we think the, the doors are going to get broken into. And he, Jesus was there. And when I say there, I'm not just saying like, oh, we thought we saw him or that's a ghost. No, he, he wanted to be very sure that he, we knew that <clears throat> he was there there. And so we could hug him. We could hold him. We could smell him. They said, you got any fish? Like, yeah, we, all, we always got fish. And so we gave him some fish and, and he ate it right there. He talked to us a little bit and then disappeared. Like, okay. But we wait another week. And boom, he's there again. This time Thomas is there with us and, and he gets to see Jesus. And, and Jesus says, go up to Galilee and wait for me there. And that's, that's what that fire down the beach reminds me of. We, we traveled up to Galilee and um, we went up there and I thought as soon as we got there, maybe we'd wait a day. Jesus would be there. We, we waited a day and two days and a week and 10 days. And we're like, well, where's Jesus? He told us to come up here and wait for him. And I was getting antsy. And so I, I gathered the boys when I said, boys, let's do some. Let's do what we know how to do. Let's get in the boat. Let's go fishing. And so that's what we did. We, we, we got in the boat and uh, we went out that night and we did what we knew how to do. And same thing. All night. No fish. And then we made our way back. In fact, I think it was this same beach. We, we began to come back and then we saw a man standing on the beach and there was a, a fire and he said, friends, do you have any fish? I said, no. He said, cast your nets to the right side. I don't know if we were just so sleep deprived or what. We, we did. <laughs> just threw it over and immediately it was full. 153 fish we later counted. 153 fish. And as we're pulling in, I'm still not, I'm a slow thinker. I'm just like, oh, this is great. And I'm pulling it in. But, but John is the one that first connected the dots. He said, Peter, it's the Lord. And before he could even get that out of his mouth, I'm into the water and I'm swimming back as hard as I can to get to Jesus. I realized Jesus rarely did this, but he did the same miracle twice for me. With one very big difference. The first time he did the miracle to open my eyes to my need for him. His righteousness, his holiness. To show me all of that. But this time. This time was on the other side of the cross. This time I knew that he was holy and righteous and perfect. But I knew that he was also full of mercy and grace. And so now when I sin, I'm not trying to get away from him. I'm trying to get as close to him as possible. Friends, if Jesus asks you to do something, obey him. Because he's the Lord. Friends, stir your affections for him. Be in awe of him. Friends, if he calls, you know that it's not because you're super qualified. It's just because he can make you qualified. Whatever he calls you to do, he'll empower you to do it. 
And friends, remember, though our sins are many, his mercy is more. Run to him. Speaking of running, I'm going to go get some of that fish.